Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. Hey, when you're done listening to this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free app. From there, you can find all of our recent message content. Our app is actually the best place to keep up with everything going on at Hope. If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. Well, welcome to those of you joining us at one of our physical campuses and online. Actually, in the room right now, can we just give a warm welcome to everyone online? We haven't done that in a while. We're thankful for you. So cool to see you getting community, even in a space like online. And welcome those of you in the room today. How are you guys? Good? Good. Well, we're continuing our series. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. We're continuing our series there. As you're flipping there, I have some exciting news. We're actually going to start a sermon series two weeks after Easter that's going to be unlike any sermon series we've ever done because you guys are going to pick the topics. You guys are going to tell us what you want us to preach about. I know it seems like I'm shirking my responsibilities. I still got to write the sermons. You just pick the topics. We're calling it Asking for a Friend. Everyone say, asking for a friend. So if there's a question about Christianity or about Jesus or about the Bible that you just have never gotten the answer to, or there's just something that you, if you could sit a pastor down and just ask them one question, or maybe in your relationship with your neighbors or your coworkers, people that aren't yet followers of Jesus, if there's one topic, one question that comes up over and over and over again, and you're like, if you just did a sermon on that, I know they would come because I know they are craving the answer to that. We want you to take all of those questions and send them to get hope, uh, questions at gethope.net. So questions at gethope.net. And we're going to sift through the thousands of those questions that you send in. We're going to rank them, maybe get a top 10 list, take it to social media. You guys are going to vote and we're going to tackle the top five questions that you guys send in. Now, I know this is two weeks after Easter. Do not wait to a week after Easter. Uh, In fact, do it right now. I don't care if you don't listen to me for the next two minutes. Just bring up your email app and send it to questions at gethope.net because the sooner we get them and rank them, the sooner that we can start that series. You guys excited about that? Yeah, asking for a friend. Well, this week we're continuing our series, Counterculture, and it's a collection of talks uh, about how do we not just survive but thrive in a hostile culture, in a country that used to be welcoming to Christianity. Now we've kind of turned the corner and uh, people like to poke fun at Christians. There's a little bit of hostility. Uh, How should we live in this new environment that we find ourselves in? And we're realizing that the book of 1 Peter was written into that exact same situation. And so we've been talking about the distinctive ways that God has called us to live, the things that he's asked us to do and to be so that we not only, it's not just good for us, but we do these distinctives in the hopes that some of the people that hate us now will see the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ and be drawn into the kingdom that they're fighting against. And so the first week we talked about the distinctive of holiness. We said, hold on to holiness. That's gonna be one of the first things that our culture is gonna push us away from uh, to drop this truth or to drop this command. But if we hold on to it like a magnet, yeah, it's gonna repel some people, but it's gonna attract many more. Um, And then last week, Jason Gore did a phenomenal job talking about in the midst of a hopeless society, how we live with living and abiding hope. Did you guys enjoy that last week? Absolutely phenomenal. I think that that weekend will uh, live on in the the history of our church for years to come. Such a powerful moment where this week... uh, It's going to be a little bit different. (laughs) We're going to be talking about something super, super practical. Every single person in here will be able to apply the principles that Peter's going to give us tomorrow. 
But it's also super, super unpopular and offensive. <laughs> uh, we're all going to have the opportunity to live this out, and none of us are going to want to, all right? So i got to change your mind uh, today on that. In fact, it's so offensive, I've titled this message, The S Word. The S Word. And it is not the word that you're thinking about right now, but it's a word that's equally as offensive, equally as yucky, and makes us turn up our nose just as much. It is the word submission. Everyone say Submission. We're going to be talking about the authority relationships that we have in our lives and God's really hard and weird command to honor them and to submit to them. Please, please hold your applause. Okay, I get it. Uh, actually, Peter uh, picks this up in chapter 2. We're going to pick it up in verse 13. We're only going to read the first part of this teaching because he actually uh, takes it into a much longer conversation. And really, he weaves it in and out, um, the, the workplace and marriage as well. How do husbands submit to God? Well, they sacrificially love and honor their wives. Uh, how do wives submit to God? Well, there's that weird command, submit to your husbands. That's actually in the Bible. I'm not going to preach on that because I already took the hit last year. Year. And I did a whole sermon on that. Uh, in fact, if you want to research that, if you're like, what in the heck does that mean? You can go to House of Cards uh, week five, House of Cards week five on the podcast or the website, and you can download, listen to that sermon. It's actually the most viewed sermon of all of last year. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy because I completely made that up. There's no way that's true. No one wants to hear about submission. No one wants to hear about authority. The truth is no one likes authority unless they're the ones that have it. We love the idea of leadership, but followership, not so much. You can go to any bookstore out there in the U.S., and I guarantee you can find hundreds and hundreds of, of books on the topic of how to be a better leader, how to be the best leader that you can be, how to lead well. But I would dare you to find three books that are on following, that are on followership. See, everyone wants to be a leader. No one wants to be a follower. The problem is, is that the math doesn't really work out in our favor. There's just naturally less room for leaders than there are for followers. You can't have 50 CEOs and like two account managers. What that means is that there's going to be a lot of relationships in our life where we're not in charge. And occasionally someone that we don't like or agree with or feel inspired by is. So this is a really, really important topic. Why do we hate authority so much? I'm glad you asked. I've been thinking about that this week. I think that partly it's because all of our great, 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 great grandmother and father, their name was Adam and Eve. We all share those ancestors in common. And what's the first thing they, they did? I mean, Adam wrote a poem because Eve was naked. That's understandable. But the second thing they did is they rebelled against authority. So rebellion is like written into our DNA. An aversion to authority is in our genes. And on top of that, what country we live in? We're Americans, dadgummit. So our country was founded on rebelling against authority. We got to a point where we said, we don't need no queen. We don't need no taxes. We don't need no stupid accent. We're going to create our own country. We're going to pick our own leaders. We're going to pronounce it aluminum, not aluminum. So take that. Now, now every time a leader comes to us and asks us to do something, our first inclination is to what? To Boston Tea Party their butt, right? Because it's, it's part of who we are. But here's the real reason, and you guys can feel free to laugh, all right, because this is, this is said in jest, but kind of. If we're honest, I think the real reason we hate authority is because all of us have had a boss or a manager or a teacher or an RA in a dorm room or some authority figure who, if, if we were just flat out honest, we'd have to say they were an idiot. They were just plain stupid. All of us have had a mall cop or an airline stewardess, or a, a, a regional manager of sales that, let's just be honest, was a moron, right? Am I the only one? No? 
Like you just look at some authority figures and you're like, what in the, how did you get that position? What, who are you related to at the top where you, they put you in charge? Like who did you give a kidney to that they would give you any amount of power, right? Like what rip in the space-time continuum, what fluke in the universe occurred that you are in a position over me? Raise your hand if you've ever had a moron for a boss. Go ahead and raise it. Keep it up. We're getting a picture to make sure there's no hope staff in here for later. No. And it seems like the smaller the amount of authority they have, the more awkward they make it and the more serious they take it. And is this just me? No? Yeah? It seems like, like, dude, you're on a Segway in a mall. Like, you don't need to take yourself that seriously. Did you guys have a safety guard in elementary school? Is that just me, North Carolina thing? If you don't know what it is, it's a really dumb idea. It's where a teacher takes a student who has no business having any power whatsoever, and they give them a sash and a whistle and put them in charge of a whole hallway for like a whole week. I learned real quick, power goes to people's heads, does it not? Like someone that you would consider a best friend just flips on you on a dime, like, excuse me, I saw you skipping in the math hallway for like 14 seconds, and that is a gross violation of Section 3, Article 13 of bipedal locomotion, and so I'm going to have to write you up. You're like, dude, chill out. Like, take that whistle away from that guy. I was at a restaurant. I'm like, I'm going to tell the story. I was at a restaurant. Uh, a few weeks ago, and it was at a time where, like, the mandates were still confusing, you know, where some restaurants, you had to wear masks, some, some, I'm fine, I'll do whatever, just tell me. So I walk in, there's no signs or anything, and there's, like, 15 people in line, and uh, apparently we were not abiding by the mandate of that restaurant, and the manager just gets furious and starts yelling, and he says, you need to maintain six-foot distance, you need to wear a mask, if you don't have one, we will not provide you with one. He said this verbatim, you need to make a serpentine line toward the front door. He said, if you do not comply, we will not serve you. It's like, I had no idea there were all these rules in place. Like, there's no poster, there's no nothing, and it was the last line that got me. If you do not comply, we won't. Like, your job is to attract customers, dude. Your food's not that good. I got six bucks, bro. Like, that's why I'm here. I want to leave. And so it goes, right? All of us are going to have problems with authority figures at some point in our life, and all of us are going to have to make, make a decision. Are we going to respond the way that we want to, or are we going to respond the way that God wants us to? And make no mistake, those are usually two very different options. But that decision can mean the difference between someone seeing the gospel as beautiful and being drawn towards Jesus or being more closed off than they were before. In fact, this is how Peter starts this whole section in verse 11. He says, beloved, I urge you. I love that term, beloved. Can I call you guys beloved? I might start doing that. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. He says, you have these evil desires inside of you, unhelpful desires. You've got to fight against them. And usually we think of lust or anger or hatred, but they can also be pride. They can also be a deep desire for a position or for authority or for a title. And Peter says you have to fight against that. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter says, you have to be very, very careful how you live your life. You have to be very, very careful how you use your words and how you speak to and relate to, inter interact with other people because you are living your life in front of a watching world. And they are just waiting for a reason to discount you and to discount your Savior. So you need to make it your aim to live such a life that you glorify God. And Peter knows that the one area where we don't get to choose who we hang out with 
And the one area where we will spend the most of our time in front of a watching world happens to be in environments like school and work and the public square. And so that's what he jumps to first. So let me just read through these verses and then we'll kind of take it apart piece by piece. It says this, verse 11, uh, verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but use that freedom to live as servants of God. He says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Y'all pray for me. All right. First, uh, Peter tells us what we're supposed to do when we come into contact with an authority figure. And it's twofold. The first word he gives us is to submit. Everyone say submit. He tells us to be subject to them. Uh, in the Greek, it's a verb, which means it's something that we do. It's something that we choose to do. It's not something that is done to us. It's a choice that we make. It's a posture that we take. So if you're taking notes, write down submission is a choice. Submission is a choice. And that term submission literally means to, uh, to rank under, to put ourselves under. And that's kind of helpful, but it's not a very descriptive word. Um, it's still a little bit unclear because the org chart kind of does that for us, right? They're my boss. Everyone knows that. So I don't have to submit myself underneath them. So in verse 17, he brings up a much more helpful word, and it's this word honor. Uh, he, he talks about that, make your conduct among the Gentiles so honorable that they glorify Jesus. He uses this term honor two more times, honor the emperor, honor everyone. And this term is actually in the Greek, a military term. And it's what would happen to people of a lower rank when someone of a higher rank walked into the room. So I actually asked Dwayne, who's my friend, he's the Raleigh campus pastor, because um, he was a Marine for years and years and years, what this was like. Um, so not only is Dwayne super tall and super strong, he was also a Marine. So don't mess with that dude, okay? That's free advice. They confuse me and Dwayne often, I get that. But um, I asked him what would happen, and he said, oh, yeah, it's not even like an unspoken. We speak it. When someone of a higher rank walks in, we say, attention on deck, and everyone stands at attention. And their body language changes and their eye contact changes. They don't even look at the person of a higher rank. And I said, well, do you speak differently or more respectfully to them? He says, yeah, you don't speak to them unless you're spoken to. And so if you can imagine that scene, the whole, your whole demeanor, your body language, the language that you use, your eyesight, you use it in such a way to show honor, to defer to, to show respect. And Peter says, this is the type of demeanor, the type of attitude, the posture that you should exhibit with all the authority figures in your life. There should be a respect that you use when you speak to them. There should be a respect that people notice when you speak about them to others. There's a disposition to obey them. There's the realization that they've been given a place and a duty by God. And our job, your job, is to help them accomplish that. So our rights, our privileges, our desires rank under theirs and they carry less weight than theirs. And then to help us out, Stephen goes a step further and he gives us a scope. 
He tells us how far we're supposed to apply this type of honoring because he knows we're gonna be looking for some wiggle room. Like, of course, I need to honor my direct boss. I need to respect her. But what about the bozo like ahead of her or the goober that's in charge of that department? Do I have to do that to them? He says, yes. He says, be subject to what? To every human institution. He says, be subject to the emperor as supreme, which is the highest level of authority there is, all the way down to the governor. Now, governor back then was a little bit different. It was like a part-time sheriff in a podunk town. In fact, no one wanted to be a governor, so they made it mandatory. After you served in the real government, you had to end out your service as a governor. So, So Peter says, everyone from the small authorities to the big authorities, from the inconsequential to the consequential, from the people that we have direct access and contact with on a daily basis, all the way to people that like the Surgeon General or whoever makes up the IRS, people that we will never meet. So he says from the big laws like do not murder all the way down to the tax code, all the way down to the speed limit sign, all the way down to that pesky little number on a kid's menu, like 10 years old, no older, like I know it says 10, you're short, just go with it. Like even that, God's not, God's not for it. Every single human institution. And then he goes on and makes it really clear. This includes people that you like and would choose to have in that position as well as people you don't like and would not choose to have in that position. He says, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. It doesn't matter what the person in that position is like All that matters is they have that position and you're already thinking of exceptions. I can see it on your face. We're gonna get there, hold tight. But this is why I think verse 17 is so important. He says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood. See, Peter knows there's gonna be certain people that you just can't love, that you don't jive with, that you just can't respect, that you don't revere. So you can't love everyone, but you can absolutely honor everyone because that's a choice that you make. Now, for those of you in the workplace, this brings up an interesting predicament. Some of you are like, well, if I do that, won't me honoring that person just keep that goober in power? Like, won't this sort of submission just allow their nonsense to continue? And Peter says, maybe, but that's not your main concern. And this is such a hard tension to manage, especially if you're a perfectionist, if you're an achiever. Because we want to be the best workers that we can be. We want to do what's best for the company, but we also want to honor and submit those in authority. And sometimes we get into positions where those two things are at odds. And it's a hard tension to manage. It's really hard to know that your boss's plans are going to fail and hurt the company and then be expected to carry them out anyway. But see, Peter says our main goal is not the company. Our priority is not to change the work culture. Our priority is not the bottom line or employee retention. Those are priorities, but they're not our main ones because you can go about accomplishing all of those things in such a way that dishonors your boss and God says, I'm not behind that. I'm not behind that. See, our goal is to honor God, to obey God. If you hear anything, hear this. The reason that we do this is for the Lord's sake. Peter says, be subject for the Lord's sake. Turn to your neighbor and say, for the Lord's sake. Good. Okay. If you, let's try it again. For the Lord's sake. Okay. You can say for God's sake if you want to be edgy. That's fine. But we should, we should care about this and think about this and do this because God has asked us to do this and God cares about this. One of the many things that God cares about, you see it all throughout the Bible, is order. 
He cares about order. There's an order for the home. There's an order for the church. He's, he's woven authority and order through the fabric of reality because that's who he is. You know, he exists as a trinity. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And God, the Father, is the one who's in charge. And Jesus, who is just as much deity, who probably has given up a lot, right? I mean, he took on human skin. He died. Maybe he should rank above. No, no. He ranks himself below the Father. That's what he prayed. He said, not my will, but yours be done. And when we exhibit that attitude, we're showing the world what God is like. But when we buck against the system, when we disregard authority, when we make life really hard for our bosses, God's like, that's not what I'm like. Stop doing that. And then Paul even takes this a step further in Romans 13. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authority. Same thing as Peter, but he takes it in a little bit different direction. He says, for there's no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. So pay all to what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed and honor to whom honor is owed. By virtue of them having that position, there's a debt of respect and honor and God expects you to pay it. Listen, the authority figures in your life, they would not have that authority unless God not only allowed them, uh, but, but it fit into his sovereign plan. He put them into that position. Now, sometimes he places people in authority to bless, which is a great thing. We see that with some of the judges. We see that with King David, I think. Sometimes he puts people in authority to curse. That's what we see with King Saul. You want a king so bad? Well, have Saul. And he stinks. See, I told you you didn't want a king. But that's not up to us, whether it's to bless or curse. See, when we buck up against authority, we're bucking up against God's plans. So Peter just says so clearly, when it comes to any authority figure in your life, big or small, whether they deserve it or not, you need to place yourself under them. You need to honor them and be respectful in the way that you speak to them and about them and respond to the leadership. And you do all of this for the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake. But you don't know my boss. You don't know Kevin. You don't know Stephanie. You don't know how impossible this would be to live this out and apply this in my situation. You don't know my teacher. You don't know the RA on my dorm. You want to talk about bad bosses, let's talk about bad bosses. Peter had some bad bosses. Up until uh, 54, it was Claudius. He was the Roman emperor um, who was controlled by special interest groups. He was a mess. He had horrible taste in women. Uh, he married his niece, who actually went on to poison him with a poison mushroom, like 99% of the way. Then she paid off a doctor to finish it. Now, guess who that niece's son was? Nero. Now, Nero is not the, the violent maniac that he will be in a few years' time, but he's still super, super immoral. Um, he actually kills his mom by poisoning her. How's that for karma? And uh, then he uh, kicks his wife to death. He marries an 11-year-old boy. But besides all that, he's just annoying. Like, uh, history tells us that he thought he was a really, really good musician, and he would make his court listen to him play music so long, women would fake childbirth to get out of it. Like, Wendy, that's your third childbirth this week, right? So, so you think your boss is bad. This is the guy that Peter says, honor, honor. And you know the people that he's writing the letter to have sent letters to him saying, we thought Claudius was bad. This Nero guy is nuts. And now he's, he's kind of, he's, he's ramping up persecution against us. Like, when are we going to storm the castle? When are we going to take this guy out? And Peter says, we're not. We're not. We're going to honor him. We're going to honor him. Because that's God's calling on our lives, and somehow, some way, God's going to use it. 
And after about five or 10 years, after Peter writes this letter, Nero, the one that he's honoring, is the one that sentences him to martyrdom, to death, by being crucified. And Peter said, I'm not worthy. I want to honor Jesus even in my death. So he was crucified upside down. Which brings us to something everyone's been thinking of. What about the exceptions? What about when it would be sinful to submit to an authority figure? Because there are exceptions. But I kind of hesitate to go there. Because, yeah, we have some beautiful examples in history. We have MLK. We have, um, we have Corey Tim Boom. Yeah, she hid Jews in her house um, and didn't give them over to the Nazis. Then the Nazis came and knocked on her door, and she said, no, I ain't got no Jews here, and lied to them. So she, she did not submit to Hitler, and that was the right thing to do. So, of course, when it comes to someone like Hitler demanding that you kill people or give people over to be killed because of their race, then you don't do that. But I hesitate to go there because some of you are going to hear that, and you're going to think, see, I knew it. My boss's name is Adam, and that's really close to Adolf. And he has this mustache, too, that is just really weird. And he's not asking me to kill, but there's this TPS report, and I knew I didn't have to, to submit to him. Listen, most of the situations that we are in are not <laughs> exceptions to this rule, but there are. So we'll go through this. Uh, first, whenever an authority figure in any way is harmful or abusive, it doesn't matter what type of abuse there is, you do not submit to them. You do not follow their authority. In fact, you appeal to a higher authority and you bring in the police. You get that person out and you get everyone safe as much as possible. And whenever the authority figure asks you to sin, you don't submit. But even in your non-submission, you're still supposed to be respectful and you're still supposed to be honoring. So all of us have to get alone with God at some point and we're, we need to draw a line in the sand. And say, because we um, submit to God above all and we fear him, we're going to honor you, but we fear him. Here's the line, and I am not going to cross this line come hell or high water. And that's a right thing to do. Now, that line might be in different places for different people. The Bible has some really black and white situations. It also has some gray situations. In fact, I think we've come into contact with some gray situations when it comes to our governing authorities the past few years. So you need to decide in your heart where that line is, and that line needs to come from God. It doesn't need you to be saying, I'm not going to submit, and God just has to go along with it. And then you don't judge other people for where that line is, okay? But there does come a point where you draw a line in the sand, and you say, this far and no further, I'm not going to cross this. And I'll accept whatever consequences there are. But even when you do that, you're respectful and you're honoring and there's been a few situations that I've come across in my ministry career where, where this has happened. I knew a lawyer one time uh, who was in the, the reconciliation part of, of law. So instead of divorce court, he would help couples reconcile. Well, his boss came to him one day and said, there's no money in that. I'm going to move you to the divorce side. And he said, hey, just the way I interpret like 1 Corinthians 7 through 11, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to do that because I'm a Christian. His boss said, too bad. That's where you're going. So he actually got his first couple. And guess what he did? He reconciled them. <laughs> and his boss got mad and he fired him. But he was super respectful and honoring, and he accepted the consequences. Or if you're a salesman, and there's a huge account, and your boss says, hey, I'm going to give this account to you, and the way that we keep this account is every year we go to Myrtle Beach, and we take them to a few strip clubs, and uh, they have a good time, and then we keep that account. You're just going to have to say, hey, first off, boss, I'm honored that you would give me this account, and I, I can see why. Like, I've had these really big accounts before, so I'm just honored that you would trust me. But you know that I'm a Christ follower, so I can't, I can't go to the strip club. We can go to a, like a steak club. We can go swing golf clubs. Like we can club it up, but I just can't take them there. And if you'll trust me, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that this account stays with us 
But if we don't, I'll just accept the consequences, you see. So it's respectful non-participation. But we do so respectfully and we accept the consequences. And we'll go into more of this next week when we talk about legit persecution. But I would actually encourage you to go back and read through some Old Testament stories like Daniel. Read through the story of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Read through the story of Esther. Read the story of Ezra. Read the story of Nehemiah. And uh, they were persecuted constantly. And I just want you to notice how respectful and honoring they were. It is shocking the amount of honor that these people showed to pretty horrific human beings. So there is an exception, but it's probably not you. I've never been commanded to sin by an authority figure in my entire life. Maybe you're different. Maybe your boss is telling you to kill people based on their race. Like if that's you, call HR. Like don't do that, okay? That's, that's a no-brainer. But that's not most of us. It's very clear what Peter's calling us to do. We need to honor and we need to submit. It's a choice that we make and it doesn't matter what the person's like. And the only way that we're gonna be able to do that is if we, get, we push the what aside and we keep the why in mind. Why are we doing this? It's for the Lord's sake because he asked to, to do it. It's a service that we render to God in the hopes that God will use that act of obedience to bring many people to him. That's why we're doing this. Now, I'll say sometimes this is actually a joy to do. That's the position that I'm in. I love and respect Jason Gore, our lead pastor. I love and respect every single one of our elders. It's an honor to serve Hope Community Church in the position that I'm in. But sometimes it can be hard and it can be unpleasant, but ultimately we do it for the sake of God and we do it for the sake of the Lord that's in control and who has promised that he will use these authority relationships to accomplish his plan. He will absolutely use use it. You think it's a fluke that you have a horrible boss? Or do you think that God saw someone that was far from him, but that could be close to you? And you might be the only Bible verse or sermon or or portrayal of Jesus Christ that they ever see. God's absolutely going to use that relationship in the life of your boss. And you don't know what he's doing. Maybe he's using that position to break them, to humble them, to grow them, to mature them. You don't know what God's doing in their life. And I'd encourage you, if you have a horrible boss, maybe cut them some slack. (laughs) You don't know their history. You don't know the battles they've been fighting. And to be a leader is is actually really, really hard. Leaders in the room know. One of my mentors says, the higher the lead monkey climbs up the tree, the greater the amount of people there are that get a really good view of his butt, right? (laughs) Like more people can just see your backside. Like they get to see all your failings. They're on display every single day but just cut them some slack. You know what I've learned? It's really easy to be stingy with the grace that we give and expect a never-ending supply of the grace that we receive, right? So God's gonna use it in their life and he is also absolutely gonna use it in yours. If you are in a tough or challenging authority relationship right now, I promise you, God's gonna use it. Because the truth that we see all throughout the Bible is that you cannot lead until you learn how to follow, right? God will never raise you up until you bow down. That's what he says in chapter five. Close yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud. Did you hear that? If you're a proud person, God opposes you. You're God's enemy. But God gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Listen, God will never call you to lead until he can trust you to follow. He'll never call you to lead until he can trust you to follow. God's looking for people that can be humble, that can hold their tongues, that can treat other people with respect who honestly don't deserve it. That's what God's been doing with us for like all of eternity. 
Adrian Rogers, a famous pastor, he says, we'll never be over those things that God has set us under until we learn to be under those things that God has placed over us. Or I heard it like this one, one time, until you know the restraint of the spirit, you'll never know the release of the spirit. So he's using this to mature you and grow you, but until that situation change, until that authority changes, you need to be the best student that you can be. You need to be the best citizen that you can be. You need to be the best employee, the best, the best sleeper in the dorm room. I don't know what they call it, dormitory attender, whatever. You need to be the best that you can possibly be because God is looking for Daniels. He's looking for Esthers. He's looking for Josephs that go into a bad situation and are just obedient. You look at the life of Joseph, I mean, he knew from an early age, God has called me to be a leader. And the next season of his life, what do his brothers do? They sold him into slavery, but he didn't complain. He was the best slave that he could possibly be. And he cleaned that house spick and span, and then he started handling his, his boss's accounts, his master's accounts, until he was over the whole entire house. Then the boss's wife kind of came on to him, and he ran out the front door, and he landed up in prison, but he didn't just sit in the cell. What did he do? He cleaned the cell. And then he said, hey, that prisoner left. Can I clean the other one? Hey, this new prisoner is coming in. You want me to like orient them? I've been here for like a year. I can give them an orientation. Hey, you want me to just run all the orientations? Can I just, can I just have this whole wing? And eventually he was over the whole entire prison. And then there came a point where God's like, oh, I can trust you now. I can trust you. Eventually he trusted him with all of Egypt so that he could save many lives. But if you just look out for yourself, how's God ever gonna trust you to be over other people? He's looking for people that say, hey, put me in any situation. I'm going to make it better. I'm going to make it better, right? And not only is God going to use it in your boss or in you, but he's also going to use it in the watching world. What, what are the, some of the things that, that people have against Christians? What do they say? They say we're prideful. They say I can't stand those Christians because they're judgmental. Man, I hate Christians because they're so selfish. What would happen if you actually lived this out is that there would be conversations around the water cooler or somewhere in your school where someone's gonna say, hey, hey, Joe, you keep saying that he's prideful, but you were in the meeting. Like the boss completely stole his idea, ripped it off and acted like it was his own and he didn't say a word, didn't say a word. That didn't seem prideful to me. Or Pam, you keep saying that all Christians are judgmental, but when the boss laid out his goals for the quarter, which we can all agree are the stupidest goals I've ever heard, like synergize efficiency to maximize inspiration. What does that even mean? Like, like Pam didn't even make a face, didn't judge him. Or you keep saying all Christians are selfish, but that, that Christian in our office or in our school just took on a ton of busy work and then, and then helped us out, figure out a way to take care of our own. Like that, that doesn't seem very selfish. In fact, it seems like the problem you have with Christians is that you just don't like them because <laughs> I can't really point to anything. See, Peter says, by virtue of being Christians, we're offensive enough. Let's not give our culture any more ammo. And really what he's saying is you want to be counterculture? <laughs> you want to counterculture? Honor those in authority. Honor those in authority and do it as a loving act of service for the Lord's sake and see if he won't use it. See if he won't use it to attract people into his kingdom, which is why we're here. That's the point of our lives, right? So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's given in love and it's true. <laughs> and thank you just for such a practical word. Father, I pray for every single person listening online at all of our campuses in the room right now. This is gonna be so hard to live out, but we can do it through the power of your spirit. 
And we can do it if we keep the why in front of us. It's for your sake so that many will see and hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So would we be so different? Would we just stick out like sore thumbs? Would our bosses just notice a change in us? And would it lead to conversation centered around you? So we love you and we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we say all these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message and encourage you to share it with your friends and family. If you live in the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina, we'd love to meet you at one of our weekend gatherings. For campus locations, service times, and information on our children and student environments, check out gethope.net. To make sure you don't miss our next message, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. We would like to invite you to support what we are doing by visiting gethope.net slash give. Through generosity of people like you, Hope can run programs like our food pantry, homework club, project classroom, and many more.